Thank you for joining me today on Bible Foundations. We're at a most critical point in our studying the Bible together. We've come all the way from the Old Testament looking at the promises of God, the promises of the Deliverer that would save mankind from the penalty of sin, from the power of Satan, and give eternal life, a oneness with God that was lost right there in the garden when Adam and Eve sinned. Listen, would you stop and just bow in prayer with me for a moment as we commit this time to the Lord? Heavenly Father, I ask that you would open our understanding, open the understanding of every hearer, and Lord, I just ask that you'd help me to convey properly the words that describe what you've done in our place as Jesus is hanging on the cross. Lord, we just ask that you would open our understanding, and Lord, we would say as others have said, Lord, we believe, but help thou our unbelief. In Jesus' name we pray, and for his sake. Amen. Jesus is now hanging on the cross. That's where we left off yesterday. He's hanging there in obedience to the Father. He knew what was going to happen. It had all been predicted in the Old Testament, and he knew that when he came to earth that this was his personal mission. As a completely human being, he suffered more than any other person. He was beaten beyond recognition. The beard was jerked out of his face savagely. Thorns were placed into his head in a form of a crown. He was unrecognizable as the person that had been the healer, the one who had worked the very many miracles as he traveled all over Israel and as he proclaimed the truth about men's hearts, as he demonstrated that he was the promised deliverer. Now we see the promised deliverer, the miracle worker, the king of the Jews, the greatest prophet, the great high priest, the king of kings and lord of lords, gasping for breath as the weight of his body pulls against those nails. With every bit of strength, he lifts his body up to allow a little more breath to come into his chest, and then he exhales with absolute exhaustion. He had refused the mixture of the drink that had wine and myrrh mixed together with it as a painkiller. You see, he was there willingly. It was all predicted, and God the Father had predicted that this would take place. He had predicted throughout the Old Testament that this deliverer would suffer for others, that he would be betrayed by a, a friend, that he'd be sold for 30 pieces of silver, just the price of a slave. He would be accused by false witnesses. He would be smitten and spat upon. He would be silenced when he was accused. He'd be rejected by the Jews. He'd be hated without a cause, and his hands and feet would be pierced. He had declared to his disciples, If I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. And now that's precisely what we see happening. We're seeing the prediction of what Jesus taught Nicodemus when he explained to him that he needed to be born a second time. This time he didn't need to be born of water or by natural birth. He needed a spiritual birth. He needed the power of God to transform his life, which could come only by a spiritual birth, a birth caused by the Spirit of God when someone believes who Jesus is. Jesus had told Nicodemus in prediction of this very hour, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus was predicting what must take place according to the Old Testament there, and we've seen the record. We've looked at the scriptures together throughout the 
studies that we've had together, and we've seen the Old Testament promises of God come true time and time and time again. And now we see that our Savior is hanging on the cross, and his life is ebbing out as he's gasping for breath. Nearly a thousand years before, God had guided King David to write that the Deliverer's hands and feet would be pierced. Now, as far as we know, crucifixion was not even practiced in David's time, which makes this prophecy even more amazing. David also said that the Deliverer's clothes would become a prize in a gambling game. The incredible sufferings of Christ are recorded in Psalm 22, written by King David. He says in verse 16, For dogs have compassed me, and the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They have pierced my hands and my feet, and I may tell all my bones. They look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. Now we understand that crucifixion was mentioned in early writings, but until 1968, no remains of a person crucified with nails had been found. Then in that year, a tomb was discovered dating back to the first century A.D. In that tomb were the bones of a man who had died from crucifixion. The following is a quote from N.A. Huss of the Hebrew University and the Hadassah Medical School. Both of the heel bones were found transfixed to it by a large iron nail. The shins were found intentionally broken. Death was caused by crucifixion. Watch the events that happen now recorded in Mark chapter 15, verses 25 and 26. And it was the third hour, and they crucified him. And the superscription of his accusation was written over the king of the Jews. Now usually a sign was put over the criminal to indicate what crime he had been found guilty of committing. But Jesus had committed no crime. Pilate could find nothing with which to charge him. But he said that this nameplate was to be placed above Jesus' head. Pilate did not believe that Jesus was the king of the Jews. Pilate may have done it to mock the Jews and their desire to be liberated from the control of the Romans and to have their own king. But we know that the Jews did not want Pilate to put this title over Jesus' head where everyone could read it. A sign like this on the cross would normally have listed the crime for which the person had been condemned. But Jesus had not sinned. His sign or title read, King of the Jews. But think about it. Jesus is dying for our sins. My sins, your sins, and the sins of the whole world. You and I are the ones who, de who deserve to be on that cross. He was taking our punishment quietly before God. Think what your sign would read. What are your sins that you know separate you from God? If you were hung on that cross, what would the accusations be? And they would be accurate, my friend. If God were to put the accusations up there, what would he say? For he knows what's really in your heart. He knows what would be in my heart. Jesus did not die for his sin, friends. He died as the promised deliverer, the promised savior of the world. He's dying in our place. Have you ever lied? Thou shalt not lie. Have you ever stolen? Thou shalt not steal. Have you ever desired the things that were another person's? Thou shalt not covet. Have you ever committed adultery in your heart, thinking and lusting after someone that doesn't belong to you? Thou shalt not commit adultery. Have you always honored your parents? Do you give God the focus and attention in your life that he deserves as God? Or do you have other images that are more important than he is? What do you think about when you get up in the morning? 
Have you created a God that just wouldn't hang on a cross like this? Have you created a God in your mind, a graven image, if you will, that wouldn't punish people for their sin? Has your pursuit of life and happiness become more important than your spiritual need before God? We justify ourselves by saying, well, I just have to earn a living. But it's more than that. It's our greed that drives us on. We want just a little bit more of this and that and the other thing. And we have lots of gods other than this one hanging on the cross. Do you understand, my friend, that God is placing on him all of our iniquity? All of your sin is being placed on Jesus, the Son of God, in your place as he hangs there on that cross. Oh, my friend, we're guilty, and it's we who deserve to die, not he who was sinless and perfect, with whom God was well pleased. Romans chapter 3, verse 10 says, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They're all gone out of the way. They're all together become unprofitable. And there is none that doeth good, no, not one. There is no fear of God before their eyes, in verse 18. Verse 19 of Romans chapter 3 tells us, Now we know that the things, whatsoever things the law saith, it saith to them that are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Mark 15:27 says, And with them they crucify, with him they crucify two thieves, the one on his right hand and the other on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, He was numbered with the transgressors. This spotless, sin, sinless Son of God had died on the cross here. Between two thieves, He died bearing the sin that was not His, but the sin of the whole world. Yes, your sin and mine, dying and paying the penalty for sin in our place. For the penalty to satisfy God is death. Death is the payment for sin. It always has been, it always will be, and it had to be paid. Now the soldiers are gambling for his clothes, just as it says in Isaiah 53, verse 12. Therefore will I divide with him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. That's what he's doing there on the cross, my friend, is making intercession for the transgressors. Transgressors like you and I. And he says, look, look unto me, lift me. If I be lifted up, I'll draw you to me. And we who are bitten with the serpent of sin and death only need to look to him to be saved. Only need to look to him to recognize that he dies in our place on the cross. But the mockers continue, not realizing that this is God the Son, the Son of God, who is hanging on the cross, the Savior of the world. Verse 29 says, And, as they, and they that passed by railed on him, wagging their heads, and saying, Ah, oh, thou that destroyest the temple, and buildest it in three days, save thyself, come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests mocking said among themselves with the scribes, He saved others, himself he cannot save. Let Christ the King of Israel descend now from the cross, that we may see and believe, they mocked. And they that were crucified with him reviled him. You'll remember in John chapter 2, verse 18, Jesus answered the Jews 
and said uh, the Jews asked him and said unto him, What sign showest thou unto us, seeing that thou doest these things? And Jesus had answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in the building, and wilt thou rear it up in three days? But he spoke of the temple of his body. Once again the Lord had known what was going to take place, and he willingly is suffering on this cross, for he knew that even though they crucified him, he planned to rise up again in three days. The Jews didn't understand what Jesus had meant when he was referring to his body. They thought they were talking about the temple in Jerusalem. King David had written that the deliverer's enemies would mock him and laugh at him and at his sufferings. God knew exactly what was going to happen to his son long before he came into the world. As we've read already in Psalm 22, verses 6 through 8, he was mocked and insulted, and they were playing games over, the, over who would get his garments. Now, my friend, this event is the most important event of all history. This is the event which God's prophets had spoken of. Jesus is the one they spoke and wrote about. He is the deliverer. His very name means God saves. God has given us his word, and at the very first of our studies, we recognize that the Bible is God's letter to us. This is the heart of this letter. This is God's message to each one of us, to you and I. This is the reason for the visit of God the Son to this earth. Here is what God has done so that we could be delivered forever from Satan and sin and death. Do you see that God could never forgive our sin and accept us unless the punishment for our sin was completely paid? What is the punishment for sin? It always has been and it always will be death. This not only means physical death, but separation from God in hell forever. Therefore, the only way Jesus could deliver us was for him to take our place before God and be punished for our sins. The only way that Jesus could deliver us from the penalty of Satan and sin and death was that if he were to take our place and be punished by God the Father for the sins that you and I should have been punished for. Jesus did not have any of his own sins for which he must die. Jesus was perfect. When Jesus was baptized by John, God the Father said from heaven that Jesus was his well-beloved Son in whom he was fully pleased. Because Jesus was sinless, he was able to offer himself to God as the offering of our sins, the offering in place of you and I. Oh, friend, do you understand that from the time that man sinned, God said whenever a person offered a lamb or, or other animals to God, the animal had to be without fault. It had to be perfect, and it could not be sick or injured. Do you remember as we studied together that when Isaac lie bound on the altar and Abraham was just about to kill him, God told Abraham not to do it. Then Abraham looked up and saw the ram that was caught in the bush. Do you remember which part of that ram was caught in the bush? Yes, the ram was caught by its horns. God put that ram there so it could die in the place of Isaac. But why did God make sure that the ram was caught by the horns? Because if the ram had been injured, it would not have been a suitable offering in place of Isaac. It would not have been acceptable to God. Oh, friend, God is perfect. Therefore, any offering made to him had to be without fault, absolutely flawless. 
because Jesus was out without fault before God, he was able to offer himself in our place. Jesus was able to offer himself because he was without fault. And he offered himself to God in your place and mine. Just as the ram died in the place of Isaac, so Jesus came into the world to take our place before God and to die instead of us. Oh, friend, the justice of God is perfect. He's holy and righteous, and he demands death as the payment for sin. Look again as Jesus hangs there on the cross, suffering, his breath all but gone now. No strength left to lift himself up and get one last breath. He had been betrayed by his own disciple. He'd been falsely arrested, falsely accursed, tried without just cause, illegal trials, if you will, my friend, rejected by the very people who should have received him as their Lord and King. He was mercilessly beaten. He was scourged and crucified. And now, now he hung there on the cross, exhausted, bleeding in agony. But none of these things moved him so deeply as what he was now faced as he completes the punishment due for our sins. Suddenly, as Jesus is hanging there, it's getting dark. Verse 33 says, And when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. Here is the completion of Christ hanging on that cross for our sins. Why was the light of the sun being blotted out? Why were there darkness for three hours? It was because God had turned his back on Jesus. God turned away from Jesus and left his beloved son, Jesus, completely alone. Do you understand the weight of that, my friend? God had called out to Adam and Eve in the garden when they had sinned. He'd called out to them. He didn't turn his back on them. And all through the centuries of history, God has continued to communicate with you and I, just as Jesus has continued to communicate with you, with us, as he travels here on the earth, as he reached out to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the priests and the elders and all of those who were in the crowds. He called out to them time and time again. He didn't turn his back on them. But now we see that God, the Father, has turned away from Jesus and left his beloved son completely alone. In the weight of that loneliness, we read verse 34, And at the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why was it that God did such a terrible thing to Jesus? Jesus had always obeyed. Jesus had never done anything wrong. He had obeyed all the laws of God. Why did God leave him like this? God was leaving Jesus like this because God was punishing Jesus for my sins and for your sins and for the sins of the whole world. During this time on the cross, Jesus was separated from God, his Father, as the punishment for our sins. Jesus suffered the complete punishment for our sins so that God could freely, without any cost to us, forgive and accept us as his children. All who agree with God and trust only in Jesus. Let me explain it again. In the beginning, God told Adam that if he ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that he would die. Adam would be separated from God who had given him life. This meant that Adam's body would die and after death, he would be separated from God in, a, in, in the place of terrible punishment where God had prepared for Satan and his angels. Sin must be paid for by separation from God. That's why Jesus had to be separated from God. 
It was the only way he could pay for our sins. And he did it in our place. He was our substitute. He was nailed to the cross and separated from God the Father because of your sin and mine. Oh, the anguish in his voice as he cries out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Verse 35 of Mark chapter 15 says, And some of them that stood by when they heard it said, Behold, he calleth Elias. And one ran and filled a sponge full of vinegar and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, Let alone, let us see whether Elias will come and take him down. Then in verse 7 we read that as Jesus grasps for that last breath of air and lifts himself with all the strength that he has left, and Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. Oh, my friend, Jesus gave his life for you and for me. He gave his life so that we could have a life relationship, an eternal relationship with God the Father that's born of the Spirit. And that spiritual birth takes place by believing that Jesus has died in our place, that Jesus paid the penalty of sin with his own death on the cross instead of requiring us to. When we place our faith in him, it's that faith that God counts as righteousness because we believe that Jesus did it in our place. Jesus died and gave his life for us, my friend. The book of Mark, as we're reading this account, Jesus cries with a loud voice and he gave up his spirit. But Mark doesn't tell us what Jesus said. We'll, turn, we'll look over at John chapter 19, verse 30, and see that last word as Jesus utters it out, saying, It is finished. It is finished. What do you think Jesus meant? Did he mean that he was finished? No, he had said that he would rise again after three days. What then was finished? The work that he came into the world to do was completely finished. Jesus came into the world to deliver sinners from Satan and sin and death. He finished this work by being separated from God and by giving his blood in his life as the full payment for our sins. Jesus paid to God all that was necessary for our sins. All those who agree with God and trust in Jesus and his death for them are forgiven by God of all their sins. God gives them the gift of everlasting life. Oh, my friend, there's no longer a need for anyone to be separated from God. Jesus Christ did for us what we could not do for ourselves to bring us to God. The work that Jesus did for us by dying on the cross for our sins is the only work that God will ever accept for payment for our sins. Jesus was separated from God for our sakes so that through him we can again have fellowship with God. When we put our trust in what Jesus did on the cross for us, we're reunited with God through Jesus Christ. The work of Jesus Christ on the cross in our place is the only thing that God can ever accept. You remember the only way to God is God's way. There's never been another way but God's way. And God has given explicit details so that we would understand the way to know him. In the Garden of Eden, God promised that he would send the Deliverer, and God kept his promise. Jesus finished the work which his Father had given for him to do. Adam's sin had separated all men from God, but the death of Jesus Christ on the cross reunites with God forever all of those who put their faith in Christ. As Jesus gives up the ghost, look what happens in the temple. In verse 38 we read, 
and the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to bottom now this was the thick curtain or veil that had hung in front of the inner room in the tabernacle that the israelites had built as god's house in the wilderness when the temple was built this great curtain was hung in the front of the inner room in the temple god had told the jews to put this curtain in front of the inner room the holy of holies so that they would never forget that because of sin they were shut out from the presence of god this inner room the holy of holies was the place where god demonstrated his presence to all of the israelites back clear back when the tabernacle was first built and now in the temple the presence of god would rest on in on the mercy seat in this inner room in the holy of holies and the only time anyone was to go in there was when the high priest came once a year every year to sprinkle the blood of animals for the sins of all the people including his own sin this was indeed a sacred place because behind this curtain shone the shekinah glory of god to show that god was living there with them when the priest went in there he had bells on the end of his coat people were listening for those bells to keep ringing as he walked around doing what he was supposed to do in the sprinkling of the blood and it said that they tied a rope around his ankle so that if he was not accepted by god then they could pull his body out of there without going in themselves now this thick curtain or veil is ripped right from the top to the bottom why do you think this curtain is ripped who do you think did it god himself did it but why did he do it god did this to show that he was fully satisfied with the payment that jesus had made to him for sinners there was no longer a need for animal sacrifices to be made again the high priest had entered the room this inner room every year to sprinkle the blood of animals before god but the blood of animals never pleased god the blood of animals could never pay for sin but god forgave the sins of all who trusted in him before jesus died because he knew that his own son would come and give his blood as full and complete payment for all sin when jesus died god ripped the curtain to show everyone that he was completely satisfied and that there was no more need to offer the blood of animals the way back to god was opened up because jesus gave his blood to complete the payment for sin when jesus died god ripped that curtain to show everyone that he was completely satisfied the way to god was now open to you and i no longer cut off no longer are we separated because jesus gave his blood as the complete payment for our sins god has promised all who agree with him and trust only in jesus as his payment for their sin will be fully accepted by god and they will never go to hell for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life the truth of that scripture has transformed lives all around the world simply by believing in this death of jesus christ as the payment for our sins once and for all man can have his sin forgiven and he can be born again born again born of the spirit of god with new life because of the payment that jesus made for our sins all that is required is that we respond to his payment in belief just simply believe him that's what the centurion did in mark fifteen thirty nine. and when the centurion which stood over against him saw that he so cried out and gave up the ghost he said truly this man was the son of god 
the centurion was in charge of a hundred soldiers, and he proclaims that now God has demonstrated himself in God the Son. The Son of God is the one who has paid that penalty of sin, not his own sin, but your sin and mine. Now, standing not far off, according to the scripture, was Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the less, and Joseph and Salome, and many other women which came up with him into Jerusalem. Then the scripture tells about his burial. Verses 42 through 46 tell us about Joseph of Arimathea going to Pilate, who marveled that Jesus was already dead. After he confirmed it, verse 45 tells us when he knew of it, the centurion of the centurion, he gave the body to Joseph. And he brought fine linen and took him down and wrapped him in the linen and laid him in a sepulcher, which was hewn out of rock, and rolled a stone unto the door of the sepulcher. Once again, we see this as an exact fulfillment of Scripture. Isaiah 53, verse 9 says, And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Every detail of our Lord's death on the cross was predicted in the Old Testament. Proof once again that the Bible is absolutely the Word of God. God gave it to us so we could know Him.